Welcome back to Not Just Paleo. I'm your host, Evan Brand. If you're new to the show, then here you are. You're in for a good one today. My buddy and I, Dr. Justin, we're talking about menopause. Now, our typical demographic of women that we're working with, anywhere between 35 and 75-year-old women, and many of them are getting partial or full hysterectomies. They're getting sent through the menopausal symptoms way earlier than you would have in historic times. And so today we're going to talk about some natural solutions and what we do in our functional medicine clinics to help. If you want a 15-minute free call with me, if you're a healthcare practitioner, we can discuss your business goals. And for health, same thing, not just paleo.com. Here we go. Hey there, it's Dr. Justin Marcajani. All right, I'm hooked on this uh, YouTube live <laughs> thing. We're doing our podcast today, Evan and myself. So we are stoked. We talked about doing menopause uh, today. That was a topic. I was listening and learning and reading a lot about it yesterday. I'm obviously dealing with menopause patients for the last decade, but always brushing up on my info. Evan, what's going on, man? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing awesome. This is fun. Isn't it great? It it's is. Addicting. I love it. Very cool. So how's your morning going? It's pretty good. Uh, I still think that the, the best car for me is going to be the Tesla because it has the HEPA air purifier in it. Oh, nice. You in the market for a new car? Well, that Honda Accord, I mean, I love it, trust me, but taking in all those diesel fumes like I was telling you about, even with the research on, I went over to the dealership and they were like, sir, you're never going to be able to block all of the fumes outside. I said, I will if I get a HEPA filter. <laughs> uh, totally, man. I think those Teslas are like biologically, like if like they put biological warfare down or something, they would still be safe. Yep, yep. Crazy. Well, we're live today and we're going to be chatting about menopause, which is an exciting topic for me. I love my menopausal female patients because they're really motivated. Number one, uh, they need a lot of help. Number two, and then the conventional you know, medical options for them is pretty poor. So yeah, I'm excited to be able to help. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we got a live chat going in the background, which is exciting. So if people want to ask some questions, we may interject here and go live to some of their questions. So that's really exciting too. Where should we start? You want to go over symptoms, talk about what, I mean, most women, if they're dealing with menopause, they're going to know about the symptoms, but people listening, you know, hey, butter, sometimes. She's in uh, attendance. She's my biggest fan. Awesome. Actually, my wife's <laughs> my biggest fan. She's probably second. <laughs> sometimes, you know, what we'll find is with women, you know, if they get their ovaries removed, they're basically going to skip perimenopause. They're just going to go straight to full-blown menopause, which is what's happened, uh, for example, with my mom getting the full hysterectomy, for example, you know, at 40 something years old, she had already been put into full blown menopause basically. And so she was experiencing, experiencing a lot more symptoms, a lot more rapidly totally. than say a woman who's naturally going to transition. Totally. I have to say, Evan, uh, honestly, I'm mesmerized by that chest hair that's coming out, man. I'm sorry. I I'm know. I am hypnotized by it. Thanks, wow. man. I was just like, whoa, okay. Can you believe that? <laughs> I know, insane. Man, it's new. I just actually, I just, I just showed my wife last night. I said, "Babe, this thing is growing north right now." <laughs> Absolutely. Well, on hormones, you know, hair, hair loss or hair growth will be a big connection with that. So we can chat about that today. Very Are you cool. saying I need to button up this extra button here? Because I'll do well, it. I don't know, man. It's going to be really hard for me to pay attention during all this right, podcast. All right, all right. Let me button this up then. <laughs> Maybe I'll I join. Apologize you. for my manliness. <laughs> no, you're good, man. You're good. All right. So, yeah. Go over symptoms. I mean, what, what should we, I mean, hot flashes are going to be 
very common. Of course, everyone's going to know about hot flashes. They're probably bored of hearing about that. But something that we see a lot too is depression and mood swings, something that could definitely be fixed if we take a look at the adrenal glands. And I guess we're going to hit on that adrenal connection too because the backup generators, which are the adrenals, which should hopefully be kicking in and supporting women, a lot of times they've had adrenal fatigue already. So when the ovaries and hormones go down, the adrenals are already tanked. So you're not going to have that backup generator that's going to help you out. Exactly. I mean, I'd say the big thing is let's define menopause a little bit more. So menopause is that time where typically the ovarian function, the ovarian output of hormones is, is running low. It starts to get depleted. And that's typically because the follicles that a woman is born with, they start to run out. So a woman typically has, you know, hundreds of thousands of follicles at birth and then eventually only maybe 400 or so are viable. So fertility for a woman typically, let's say on average, is going to be from maybe 13 to 15, depending on when they have their period at first, all the way up to their early to mid 40s, some even late 40s um, today as well. So that's kind of like your, your viable um, window for fertility. So when those eggs start to run out, then what starts to happen is your ovarian function starts to diminish. And then that typically, it's about a, considered about a one-year time frame until you actually get in to uh, menopause. That's the perimenopausal time frame. It's about one year until you one year without a period is what you consider to be menopause. And obviously, if you get a, your ovaries removed, like hysterectomy-wise, obviously that's instantaneous menopause, right? Because you're missing the the hormone output. But most women, it's about 12 months without a cycle, and that's when you technically hit menopause. And then menopause typically can last until you're considered to be postmenopausal can typically last about 10 years so that can kind of scare some women and if you get your uterus removed like a partial hysterectomy you keep your ovaries but you get your uterus removed women typically will go through menopause about four years faster so the uterus does have some hormonal interplay so again because you let's say have a partial hysterectomy and still have your ovaries, you still will go through menopause and it's important that you get that support. And a lot of women that get their uterus removed, it's typically because maybe endometriosis or severe fibroids or some kind of excessive hemorrhagia or bleeding that caused them to get it removed in the first place. Well, even I've heard of some women saying just because they don't want to have a period anymore and the doctor will still do the surgery. Yeah, and that's not a good move because your uh, uterus does have some effect on hormonal output. Again, the research and people don't quite have their head around uh, it that, you know, have it, you know, around 100% on that, but it's still a reason why that is there. So the first aspect is, you know, the definition one year without a period. That's number one. Number two, we have that perimenopausal time frame, which is about. 12 months. And then once you're in menopause, it's about 10 years until you're technically postmenopausal. Now, all the symptoms that we talked about earlier, what are they? They're going to be hot flashes, of course, right? Night sweats. They're going to be mood issues, lack of femininity, right? You're feeling less like a female, less like a woman, um, uh, call, uh, sagging breast. Um, uh, I would say loss of elasticity in skin. As your estrogen drops, that can shrink breast tissue. It can also stimulate or decrease the stimulation of collagen. So the, the skin starts getting, losing that quality and that elasticity and that um, nice, healthy, useful tone, hair loss, mood issues, brain fog, osteoporosis, obviously vaginal dryness, depression. So these are all symptoms of the ovaries losing their ability to function. And then what starts to happen is your adrenal glands really have to pinch hit and come to the table.
Yep. So if you've got infections or your adrenals are tanked, when the if we use the pinch hit term, they're not going to be able to do it very well because you've got these other problems or the diet is not good. You've got blood sugar swings. So without healthy blood sugar, it's going to be tough to have healthy adrenal function. You know, the exactly. thing that's interesting is a lot of women get talked to about menopause like it's a disease, but it's not really a disease. It just seems that the modern world in terms of either too much or too little exercise and a diet that's not rich in good fats and good proteins. Those are the modern things that we're up against. So menopause is becoming more prevalent. And then also it's going to be more severe too, because our ancestors, they've dealt with menopause. You know, this is a natural transition, but now we've, we're, we're up against these new things that the modern world presents. So therefore we have to play the cards a little bit smarter, make sure we've got the nutrition down, make sure we've got the exercise portion down. And then we always get to the underlying issues that could still be affecting things or making things more intense, like say an infection, which you and I find hundreds and hundreds a year in menopausal women. A lot of times there is adrenal issues caused from infections. Absolutely. And, and two, I want to add, we're actually doing this podcast live. So anyone watching it live right now, feel free and write in a question or two and we'll be able to see if we can intermingle the question in with the podcast. So this is going to be kind of this new little setup here. If people are, are liking this, we may do more of it. So we're pretty excited about it. I did a couple of YouTube lives this morning and if people want a couple of questions answered, let's we'll do it as long as we can get it pertinent to the topic. Yep. So and I got a little see? kombucha right now. I'm getting my, my ginger booch in here. Nice. Love it. Love it. I'm drinking, um, vitamin C actually right now, my vitamin C tonic out of uh, a little mug that says having tea with a friend brightens any day. Here, here. Touche on that one. Excellent. So we talked about hot flashes a little bit. Can you talk about, can you go into like the adrenals and, and why the adrenals are so important for women that are getting ready to go into menopause? It's, yeah, absolutely. Well, so if we look at the top of the food chain of hormones, if you type in steroid hormone pathway chart online, you can see where cholesterol, which is going to come from diet. Also, of course, the liver and all of that, but you've got cholesterol at the top of the food chain here. Then downstream, we've got progesterone, you've got pregnenolone, you've got your estrogen, your estriol, your estradiols, your testosterone, your DHEAs, you've got your aldosterone, you've got cortisol, you've got all these hormones that are depending on a pretty good balance. But as we've probably talked about before, what happens is the pregnenolone steal. Some people debate that. Some people say that it's not true. But just based on what we have done and what we do, to me, it makes perfect sense that the pregnenolone steal is perfectly real, which is the process where men and or women that are under significant stress, the body is going to prioritize cortisol production over the production of these other hormones like your estrogens. And so when menopause is occurring and the levels of estrogen and progesterone are dropping, now you're just dependent on the adrenals and this cortisol, this, this whole adrenal cortisol I guess we'll call it backup generator to do the work that was being done by two generators before. Now you've got one generator doing the same amount of work. Now, if you've already been in sympathetic fight or flight mode for a significant amount of time, you're going to have trouble. So when we pull your adrenal cortisol results, we're going to see that you've likely got low free cortisol, which means that you're not outputting the amount that you should be. So the analogy I use is the smartphone. So a lot of women we're looking at, they could be we would like to see them around 28 or 30 units of free cortisol on like a biohealth test, for example. 
but a lot of women are showing up anywhere, say 10 to 15 units of cortisol. So that's like you starting your day with your smartphone battery charged at 50% yeah. and you're trying to get through the whole day. It's going to be tough. And so this is why having healthy adrenals and having a good adrenal protocol in place for me is essential, not only for men and women that are, you know, younger, but older women especially are going to benefit from some of the adaptogens and strategies that we can chat about. 100%. Now, looking at the adrenals, I always tell my patients, they're like a backup generator, right? They're going to produce a significant amount of DHEA, which can go down the hormonal cascade and can become testosterone, andro, and primarily at a female, they're going to go down more of the estrogen pathway. So if you look at testosterone and andro, it can also flow downstream into either estrone or estradiol estrone and estradiol and then from there it can get converted in the liver to estriol okay estriol is going to be about 80 percent of all the estrogens in your body will be estriol during reproductive age estradiol will predominate as your main estrogen and then when you go into menopause estrone will be what predominates when you're in menopause so let's break that down we have E1, E2, E3. Really simple. The names are good giveaway. Estrone has O-N-E in it, so that's E1. Estradiol, D-I, right, like two dice, E2. And then estriol, T-R-I, that's going to be E3. So you have E1, E2, E3. E1, estrone is going to predominate when you're in menopause. E2 during reproductive age. E3 will be what's there the majority of the time. Uh, but it's weaker and it will significantly predominate when you're pregnant. So what happens is once you go into menopause, E2 starts to decrease and we start to get more dependent upon E1. The problem is E2 and E1 are stronger estrogens and can be proliferative, meaning they can increase risk of cancer and other health issues. So if we are going to support a female with some bioidentical hormone preparation, bioidentical meaning the hormone molecule matches what's in your body, typically plant-based. We'll do it with estriol, E3, and we'll even typically combine a tiny bit of progesterone in there to support the female hormones. Should we talk about the conventional solutions like for hormone replacement therapy, like the one that comes to mind you hear about a lot is Premarin? Yeah, like yeah, Prempro or Premarin Provera. Yeah, I mean yeah. That's, that's, that's linked with increased risk of heart disease now. Yeah, and cancer. I mean, the Women's Health Initiative study um, found that about 10, 15 years ago. So it's it hasn't been prescribed as much for hot flashes and menopausal symptoms, but it still is being prescribed. There are more natural kind of anti-aging doctors that are out there, typically medical-based, that are prescribing hormones. The problem with it is they prescribe it like it's candy. They prescribe it like it's a vitamin or a nutrient, and hormones are really, really powerful, right? Hormones are are measured in like nanograms, which is like one speck of salt in like a swimming pool, right? So it's like very, you know, very, very sensitive, um, you know, amounts with these things. So looking at hormones, we want to make sure we don't give it like a supplement. We want to make sure we actually test so we're not guessing when we prescribe it. It's specific to what the patient needs. Number two Number two is we actually have to make sure the diet and lifestyle is dialed in because that's a really, really important starting point. And I would say even more important, most medical doctors or bioidentical doctors totally ignore the adrenal portion of that. So the adrenal 
is just totally not even on site. And we know how important the adrenals are for that backup generating of the sex hormones, especially when you go into menopause. So imagine that backup generator. If it's on empty or the smartphone analogy is on low, that means symptoms. So you go to turn the generator on when the storm comes in. It's not on full. Guess what? Your power is not going to work. There's going to be a lot of things in your house that aren't going to work like you had full power. And what that equates to in a menopausal female is symptoms, mood issues, skin issue, hot flashes, of course, vaginal dryness, low libido, right? So those are the things we got to be very mindful of when we're dealing with menopausal females. Let's talk about what the options are. I mean, even if you do go bioidentical, a lot of times you're going to get hormone creams. But the more and more I read about hormone creams, I'm finding that that can disrupt other hormones and it's going to be tough to measure. It's going to be tough to get mm -hmm. the right dose. And so now I've been reading a lot about sublingual drops for bioidentical hormones. Supposedly that's the best because you can determine exactly what dose you're taking. For me, that goes out of my, you know, that goes out of my pay grade because I'm not a prescribing medical doctor, but it's at least good to know that there are options out there for women because if they are going to go talk to their endocrinologist or, uh, you know, some type of MD that's more integrative, hopefully they can know that you definitely don't want to go oral. You definitely don't want to go with a cream, but if you can go sublingual drops with the bioidenticals. However, in a lot of cases, if we are getting the diet dialed in, we're getting like some omega-3 fatty acid supplements in, we're removing synthetic estrogens, the plastics and all of the other exposures, the phthalates and all the other endocrine disruptors and health and skincare products. And then we're addressing underlying issues. I've had great success with many women, women. I know you have too. And we're not, we're not saying, Hey, go, go get this, go get this drug, go get this prescription. Exactly. So when it comes to hormone preparations, number one, how do you test it? Most medical doctors, they're going to primarily use a serum bound test, a serum blood test to look at hormonal levels. Now, the problem is serum represents 100% of all the hormones that are in your blood, right? And the problem is only about 2%, maybe 2 to 5% of hormones are free fraction. So the problem is because a small per such a small percent of the hormones that are free it's such a small percent out of the 100%. It's, it's really hard to measure it because you don't have a, a small enough gauge to sense it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's like using a thermometer that only tells you you're either 97, 98, 99. It doesn't tell you the in-between temperatures. So if you're 97.9, it may say you're still 97, right? So imagine that's kind of like the blood testing. So if we use a free fraction test that will break it up and look at the free fraction of the hormone, whether we're using biohealth, uh, salivary cortisol or salivary progesterone or estrogen tests, that'll look at the free fraction. Or if we use the Dutch testing, that will also look at the free fraction. Excuse me. The kombucha gets, uh, gets me a little burpy. <laughs> Apologize for that. Um, so looking at that, we want to do tests that look at the free fraction number one. So salivary test or like a really good Dutch test by Precision Analytics is great because we get a more fine-tuned metric of where those free fraction of the hormones are at. Again, there are some blood tests that can. I think you can look at estradiol-free. I don't think you can look at progesterone-free 
or cortisol free on a blood test yet. You can look at serum cortisol, you can you can look at estradiol free, you can look at testosterone free. I do not think you can look at progesterone free. So again, we want to be able to look at the free fractions because that's what's bioavailable and can bind into a receptor site. Yeah, I wanted to mention the Dr. Jonathan Wright, which I believe it's the same it's the same guy who wrote the book on stomach acid, which is I know one of your favorites and one of my favorite yep. books, that he's got some good info with Mercola about administering bioidentical hormones. And they're talking about the version that they call triest, which is supposedly 80% estriol, 10% of each estrone and estradiol. So it sounds like for even, you know, people like my mom, any woman that's had you know, full hysterectomies, it sounds like this is going to be pretty foundational to, to overall health. It sounds like you can't really out supplement your way if you have had, you know, a full hysterectomy like this. What's your yeah. take? Right. Well, you remember what I said? I said uh, 80% is estriol, right? So think about it, right? With the triest, what is it? 80, 10, 10, mm -hmm. 80% E2, or I'm sorry, E3, estriol. That's the triest. Well, the triest means all three of them, E1, E2, E3. So 80% is estriol, E3. 10% typically estradiol and 10% estrone. And that's good. If you can get it compounded that way, that's fine. Uh, again, it's still going to be in a cream. And the problem is some women don't do well with the cream because it super saturates in the subcutaneous tissue and starts coming out at uncontrollable amounts. You don't quite get it dosed into the bloodstream as efficiently, let's say, as a sublingual. They can go right into your sublingual tissue and your buccal tissue and go right into the blood. And there's no like real fat in the mouth. So it's right in there and you're good. Now, the difference is jo Dr. Jonathan Wrights talked about this. If he does sublinguals, or I'm sorry, if he does the creams, he typically does it intervaginally because of the thin mucosa down there that can go right into the bloodstream. So that's helpful. But again, you know, I've, I've dealt with a lot of women that do the creams and such intervaginally, which can work decent on menopausal women, not so much on cycling women. I'll tell you why. Uh, but again, it's some issues. I mean, not to get too graphic here. It can get into the underwear. It can come out. Uh, it's okay if you can do it at nighttime when you're lying down. But sometimes you get discharge, and it can wreck women's underwear, and it can be a little uncomfortable. So it just depends on what you like. If women have already done that, done it that method, and they're doing well, and their hormones are stable, and they're not having any of those issues that I mentioned, fine. If not, we'll typically recommend some of the sublingual drops, some of the estriol and/or progesterone drops. We'll also support the adrenal glands themselves. And then we'll also use some specific herbs to help modulate the sex hormones. We'll use wild jam. We'll use chase tree or vitex. We'll use dong kwai. We'll use black cohosh. Uh, we'll use some of those herbs to help modulate the receptor sites. I'll even use some specific phenotypes of maca. I have some specific phenotypes for cycling women and or menopausal women that that will help with either some of those symptoms at the receptor site level depending if we have a cycling or a menopausal issue how about soy during this time well if you're using specific soy isoflavins that can be helpful to modulate estrogen receptor sites again we've talked very negatively about soy but again soy if you extract the isoflavins you're also not getting all of the proteins and the goitrogens and the trypsin inhibitors, all of the negative effects. And of course, 
you know, is going to be extracted from a non-GMO source. So my opinion, you can still get some significant benefits, like whether it's the 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 genistine or the other types of soy isoflavones can be helpful for modulating the estrogen receptor sites. Sure, sure. And I briefly mentioned omega-3s, but that's another good one. Just plenty of omega-3 fats, so good, high-quality triglyceride form of fish oils, which is what you and I use. So if you are taking a fish oil and you get fish burps, it's probably ethyl ester, and that's not good. If it smells fishy, most of the time that's not good either. And you're you want the triglyceride to know. form. Yeah, that's which is key. basically as close as you can get to the raw form or the form that you would get if you were just actually eating the fish. Absolutely. So – Looking back at all the different things, we talked about some herbs to help modulate receptor sites. We talked about using potential bioidentical hormones. Our bias is more towards a sublingual. If you were to do intervaginal cream, it'd have to be intervaginal, ideally not on the skin as much because of the supersaturation in the subcutaneous tissue. And I've seen it on tests. When you see like literally women are off the charts, you're like, hey, you know, your doctor's just measuring blood. And because it doesn't have a small enough metric to pick up that, you know, 2% or so, it may look okay in the blood, but not be okay in reality in, in the spectrum of looking at the free. Yeah, I've seen that too. I've seen it with men too, which is a whole other conversation, but testosterone replacement therapy, where it just goes so far above the six, it's like 6,000 above 6,000. That's like where the test maxes out. And it's like, whoa, something's not right. Exactly. Now, looking at cycling women, why do I want to avoid creams altogether? Well, for the most part with cycling women, their hormones are going to be at different places in the cycle. The first half of the cycle is going to be the follicular phase where estrogen starts to go up around day two, day three. It taps out around day 12 to 13, and then it drops as progesterone rises. That's where ovulation is, that X where estrogen drops and progesterone rises. This is where ovulation is. Progesterone comes up to the top. Estrogen mirrors down low, and they both drop together around day 27 to 28 to signal bleeding. And again, the reason why this is an issue is because if you, if you can't pull estrogen or pull progesterone out at the right time, then that can throw off the cycle because if estrogen and progesterone aren't dropping exactly when it should, you're not going to have adequate menstruation. It may delay things. It may throw off your cycle. So because of that, I don't like creams on my cycling female patients. I like to be really specific with progesterone exactly what days. I don't want any spillover on either end. And I typically don't use any estrogen with female hormone patients that are cycling because most women are estrogen dominant and will typically be able to support the estrogen via the adrenal side, via some of the DHEA and pregnenolone and some of the modulating herbs. So if you went to a standard MD or like an integrative MD, are they going to be able to provide those sublinguals? I mean, how common is that? I know we're talking about, sometimes we talk about subjects where the optimal thing is just unheard of and conventional, but I mean, is this sublingual? Is this, is this popular enough where some woman could go down the street to a clinic and get, get help with that? Um, most conventional medical doctors aren't going to, aren't going to be able to do the sublingual because it's just not in their wheelhouse. Um, yeah. some do trochies, which may be a close second right? A lot of them will do the pellets uh, and then most of them will do the creams. Just how they're taught, you know, if you look at a lot of the A4M stuff, some of the anti-aging physicians, they're going to do more of the creams. Dr. Jonathan Wright does the cream, but at least respect that it's intervaginal so you don't have the subcutaneous buildup. But again, I think the more important piece here to look at is the adrenal aspect. We got to look at the adrenals. And 
if anyone's viewing right now wants to chime in and ask ask a question via the chat, feel free and do that, and we'd love to answer any of the questions that are on or related to the topic. This is a new thing we're testing out, so the more people that engage or comment on this afterwards, that's going to motivate us to do more of these. Totally. Yeah, so the you've hit on the good point, which is, yes, you can go there with the hormone replacement therapy. It has done good things. It can do good things, but I'm not prescribing it, and I'm getting... I can't prescribe. I'm not a prescribing MD, but just doing the stuff that I've done, I've been able to make 80, 85, 90% better in terms of symptoms that menopausal women are experiencing. And that's with no drugs. That's looking at the adrenals. That's getting the gut infections taken care of. That's looking at mitochondrial health. That's getting rid of candida problems. That's making sure they're going to bed on time. That's making sure they've revamped any type of cleaning products in their house. They've got the chemicals out. They've ditched the plastic Tupperwares. So all of that stuff, you're adding 5%, 10%, 15%, and then it just keeps adding up. And then eventually, people are going to feel much, much better. Oh, absolutely. And I think the big thing is you're working on the adrenal piece, like I mentioned. You're also working on the diet, right? You're stabilizing blood sugar. One of the biggest stressors on the hormonal system is going to be blood sugar swings. So the more you stabilize those blood sugars and keep that dialed in, you're going to take a lot of stress off the hormonal system. Also stress is going to eat up progesterone. So kind of like the pregnenolone steel, which, you know, it's theoretical. It makes sense. It's just, here's how I tell patients. We're prehistorically hardwired to allocate uh, resources to stress and inflammation now versus healing and recovery and fertility tomorrow. Why? Why is that? Well, because if we don't get through now, tomorrow never comes. So it's like the 12-year-old boy procrastinating on the homework. If you're chronically stressed, you keep on putting off the fertility and the recovery and the the recuperation that is needed. So we're chronically hardwired to deal with stress right now. So the goal is to decrease that stress so then your body can start to allocate that and put the healing and recovery and the fertility higher up on the priority list. Well said, yeah. And it's crazy to me how you could go in, you could complain of these symptoms. Oh, sounds like you're in or going to menopause. Here's cream, have a nice day. And none of this other stuff is discussed. I mean, we're looking at massive pieces of the pie that are just completely ignored. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would say the biggest issue I have, and I was on the menopause summit last week with, uh, with Bridget, Bridget Danner. And one of the things that came up that we talked about was, I would say one of the biggest things that has driven more menopausal patients to me is this low fat era of avoiding animal proteins and healthy fats, because that's where a lot of your hormones come from. So if you don't have that diet piece dialed in with the hormonal substrates and the building blocks and the healthy amino acids, you're really at a significant disadvantage to being able to make your hormones on your own. So healthy fat-soluble nutrients through grass-fed meat and pasture-fed meat and pasture-fed eggs, organic, free-range, none of the chemicals. You don't want to add more xenoestrogens in our meat to the, to the table, right, and throw off our hormones more. Healthy fish, um, egg yolks. If you can handle grass-fed butter and ghee, that's great. Lots of vegetables, a glycemic or carbohydrate uh, balanced meal for you. So depending on starch or no starch, keeping grains out, keeping inflammatory foods out, keeping toxins out, and then stabilizing your blood sugar or not letting your blood sugar drop and not letting yourself get hungry is going to be a great starting point for most people. Yes, I mean, vegetarians, vegans, specifically for women at this time, it's going to be brutal on them. If you're a vegetarian, vegan, and you're going into this phase in life, it's going to be really, really tough on you. 
It definitely will be. Now, if you are in that place, you know, I would try to coerce you and, and sell you on the fact that you probably want to eat some of these healthy animal proteins, at least cajole you into maybe some egg yolks or a tiny bit of fish. If I could do that, if I couldn't do that, I would at least try to get you on <clears throat> some collagen proteins, uh, some really good pea protein. I'd even recommend you get some free form amino acid supplementation. I'd recommend lots of healthy fats via avocado, avocado oil, coconut oil. I would do chia seed, um, again, olive oil, low temperature, and I would really work on the good fats, and I would make sure you're not going excessively high on the carbs. A lot of vegetarians by default become carbitarians. Again, I've gotten a lot of flack on this on YouTube, but it's true. I've looked at hundreds of food logs of these types of patients and people, and I've seen it over and over again. The difference between me and you, Evan, and the general public is most people in the public they only have an N equals one. They have their experience. So if they extrapolate themselves as this is what everyone does, but we've seen it many, many hundreds, if not thousands of times over, most vegetarians become carbitarians with the grains and the excessive starch. So again, may not be an issue for you. I may not be speaking to you directly, but again, that's an issue that we do find on the vegetarian side. Agreed. Yeah. And we could look at the lab results too. And uh, I, no I noticed YouTube is the place where you'll get the most hate comments about vegetarian or, or, or veganism, if you're, if you're saying that that's not a good, not a good thing to do, but we've got the lab results to prove it. So when you got people out there saying, look at this person or look at this one doctor, or, look at this one study, it's like, mm, I'm going to look at the stuff that we're doing in the trenches. I mean, you and I are in the thousands of people that we've worked with now, and we see the direct correlation where when people start adding in the eggs or they start adding in the good fats on a retest of, let's just say, adrenal cortisol pattern, for example, we may notice that the cortisol could get back into a good rhythm. Now, granted, there's lifestyle components that we're helping. There's there's stress management. There's the sleep. There's the watching out for the blue light, et cetera, getting good bright light in the morning, which is going to be helpful. If you're spending time in a dark room, Cortisol is a light-driven hormone, so if you're waking up and you're not opening the blinds, that's a big issue too, which wearing sunglasses, for example, but if your adrenals are stressed, you're going to want to wear sunglasses, so women that are complaining of that bright light coming in, you definitely want to get your adrenals tested because I've noticed that people who I suspect, and I can kind of look around in my family too and see, oh, I bet she's got some adrenal issues. She's always wearing those sunglasses. That gets better when you support the adrenals. Bright lights don't bother you as much. Absolutely. That's 100% true. I, I totally agree. Well, anything else we wanted to touch upon with menopause? I mean, we hit the adrenals. We hit the diet. We hit the blood sugar. We hit some of the supplementation. Again, some women don't necessarily need the bioidenticals, but some women do. And it really just depends on what's going on, how imbalanced their hormones are, and how bad their symptoms are. Again, the more their hormones are depleted, they may need a strong bailout, a fast bailout with a little bit of hormone support. So I don't want to keep my female patients suffering. So we'll use a little bit of that. And as long as we're testing and we're not guessing, we're assessing, I feel very confident moving forward with that. Agreed. Yeah, well said. Well, people let us know what you think of the live YouTube thing. I'll be curious to hear the audio quality. I mean, you talking to me, it sounds, sounds perfect. So... Uh, if it's as good as us recording through Skype and other methods, then I'd say we could just keep doing our shows like this. And again, we didn't plan um, to do this show today. So I did one this morning off the cuff. I posted it last night. So we had more viewers. But 
today was off the cuff, so we don't have too many viewers listening, but if anyone's listening and wants to ask any questions, let us know. But I plan on, we'll probably have hundreds, if not thousands of people listening live very soon when we start planning these out. And you know, we'll put it out in our emails and we'll put it on Facebook ahead of time so people know and they can come with their questions. But if anyone has any questions, uh, actually, we got a question here. Uh, what about liver health in order to metabolize estrogens? Yeah. So regarding estrogen metabolism, this is important because I mentioned this earlier. We have E1, which is estrone, and we have uh, E2, which is estradiol, gets funneled downstream into estriol. Okay. And what happens, this conversion happens via the liver. So E1 to E3 and E2 to E3 all happens in the liver. So anyone that has a liver issue is going to have a female hormone estrogen issue. So we want to work on the liver. And also on the Dutch testing, we'll look at the 2-hydroxy to 2-methoxy estrogen metabolism, and we'll look at the methylation meter and see if we're having that one-to-one -one ratio of estrogen metabolism. So if we're at 2-hydroxy estrogen of 1, do we have a 2-methoxy of 1? Do we have this one-to-one -one metabolism? And that's the methylation meter that we're looking at in the test. If not, we could be um, essentially not getting rid of all of the estrogen. We could be reabsorbing that. Also, increased estrogen issues are going to cause gallbladder issues. So, again, you know, the, the FFF rule with gallbladder issues, women that are overweight or, or fat, women that are um, – that's the FF. That's just the, uh, the crude abbreviation. So, overweight, female, and 40 or up. So that's this estrogen dominance thing. This is what goes. I mean, you listen, I mean, I remember sitting into many gallbladder surgeries and it was like FFF. Those are the three things the surgery would say. Are you overweight, female, and over 40? Because the high amount of estrogen dominance, right, makes the gallbladder, uh, makes the bioflow from the gallbladder sluggish. So then what happens is two things. You can't metabolize your hormones because a lot of that happens via the bile excretion. And then number two, you lose the ability to break down your um, fat, um, fat soluble vitamins. So gallbladder issues and then fat metabolism and detox are a common side effect of estrogen dominance and that can happen leading into menopause. I can't tell you how many of my female patients that are cycling have lost their gallbladder and it really sets them up for nutritional deficiencies and poor detoxification down the road. Oh gosh. Well said. I mean, when I hear liver too, I just think of like the GPL talks that you and I've chatted about with the gasoline additives and all of these other chemicals in people's bodies, um, aspirin and other, uh, you know, pharmaceutical medications that increase the burden on the liver. So whether it was like statins or heart drugs or any of this stuff that that's really tough on the liver, alcohol, which a lot of women over 40, they're stressed, they've got these symptoms. So they're using wine, you know, to put themselves to sleep a glass or two a night, which could increase the burden on the liver and mess this whole process up. Plus, we've got parasite infections, you know, one in three is what we're seeing of infected people. So you've got the toxic load there. And then if you've got methylation issues, like you've mentioned, and you're unable to detoxify, or you've got problems with the phase one or the phase two, and you're not taking something to conjugate those toxins and wrap totally. them up and get them out, you're toast. So there's a lot of different pieces that that can be improved upon for sure. So we always factor liver in. It's not a matter of if we factor liver and detox into the protocol. It's just a matter of when. Absolutely. And I would just say making sure we, you touched upon it earlier with the gut stuff. And I think so many mainstream functional medicine practitioners, and I would say even the medical doctors um, ignore the digestion part because Again, a lot of the detoxification happens with sulfur amino acids. So we have to make sure we have the sulfur amino acids, the phase two sulfur amino acids 
to run those liver pathways. So cysteine, glutamine, glycine, and the glutathione precursors, uh, methionine, taurine, especially for the gallbladder, are going to be super helpful for liver detox. Also making sure we eat a lot of the cruciferous vegetables. And again, if you have gut issues, make sure they're cooked so the fiber is broken down so we can get the diendol methane and the indole-free carbonyl, which is going to be really important for estrogen detox. And again, this is your your broccoli, your Brussels sprouts, your cauliflower, your asparagus, your kale, spinach. And, and again, your broccoli a, sprouts. I, I love broccoli sprouts. Yeah, broccoli sprouts. And again, we have someone answering uh, or asking this question live. So we're answering anyone else that wants to uh, ask a question live. We're about ready to sign out. So anyone else uh, put something in the chat window and we'd love to answer it. So to finish that question, what other herbs can we give? So for gallbladder, we want to add maybe some extra bile salts. We want to do some fringe tree and some artichoke root, some phosphatidylcholine, some extra taurine. These are great for the liver, extra milk thistle, silymarin. These are great things. And we may even give extra sulfur amino acids, antioxidants, B vitamins, extra folate. These are all great things to support the liver. And I'd also say make sure you're not doing all the bad things regarding the pesticides, the chemicals, the exogenous hormones. And again, this is where a little bit of estriol may need to be given because if we have a toxic liver, we may not be able to have that liver uh, conversion going. Well said. Great job. Excellent. I think we got a couple other questions here. Uh, no, I did not go to the Super Bowl. No, not this year. It was in Houston. I was thinking about it. Didn't make it down there. But I'm a huge Tom Brady fan. I think I know a lot of haters for that. But Tom Brady is the poster child for uh, functional medicine, natural medicine. And the guy's 40 years old and in better shape than ever. And part of it is because of his diet. His eating, his sleeping, his training, he sees a chiropractor, he sees an acupuncturist, the guy is dialed in and is using natural medicine and functional medicine as his go-to and not conventional medicine for his go-to. So huge fan of that. Anything cool. else here, Evan? I don't think so. Send people back to the website. Check out Justin, justinhealth.com. Check me out, not just paleo.com or type in Evan Brand and you'll find us both more content, more info, the ability to schedule consults with us. All of that's there. So we do both offer 15 minute free calls. So if you've got questions, you want to get your health questions answered, reach out. You know, there's no sense in suffering. If you know that there's a possibility to get better, go for it. Time's a wasting. And if you guys listening like this type of format, we want to do it more frequently. So give us, give us some love, give us some thumbs up, uh, share it, put it on Facebook, email it to your friends. We absolutely love it. And the more feedback we have, the more we want to do this. Absolutely. Excellent. All right, Evan. Well, this the beautiful thing about this. This thing goes live right away. So wow. kind of exciting, instantaneous feedback for the listeners. Anything else on your end? No, that's it. All right, man. Great chatting. You too. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right. As always, I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Go check out my YouTube channel if you haven't already. I just posted a 20-minute Q&A video. I sent out a letter about a month ago to my email list, which you should be on, and I got about 600 responses, which was just insane. And so I filtered through all of those and gathered the most popular questions and answers, or bit, whether it was business questions, whether it was health questions, and I put all those in that 20-minute YouTube video. Go to YouTube, just type in Evan Brand. You'll see my channel. Subscribe to it. I'm going to be putting more focus into that this season. Obviously, the podcast will stick around, but the YouTube video is a whole new element, and people are really loving it, so I want you to be part of it. Once again, thanks to the sponsor, Kettle and Fire. You can get 20% off your first order of bone broth. Get the chicken. It's delicious. 
go to notjustpaleo.com slash chicken. Notjustpaleo.com slash chicken. Okay. See ya.